0: Does your teen need therapy? How will you know when your teen is doing well? And if not, what will your teen need to get to a better place? Today, we speak again with Brad Smallwood, licensed marriage and family therapist, who describes how teens are negotiating an ever more confusing, fast-paced world of ubiquitous technology, stratospheric expectations, and a frightening level of access to drugs and alcohol. Also, we will include tips on increasing rapport with your teen, namely communication, listening, and empathy skills. Lastly, we will examine a strange local phenomenon that appears to have its roots in today's scarcity in mentorship and community. Apparently, in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, some teens unwittingly become paired with older men who groom them to do their bidding. My name is Benjamin Rusick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. I am here with Brad Smallwood. And today we are talking about teenagers, specifically young men. What we're going to talk about today is the the role of the therapist working with teenagers, common challenges that teens face, and helping parents and teens manage their expectations of each other. So let's start with talking about the role of the therapist in working with teenagers. Brad, how do you, how do you go? <laughs> Say things. <laughs>
1: yeah, as a therapist working with teenagers, you occupy this very interesting space as a as a therapist being, I'm not, I'm not particularly much older than teenagers. And then I'm not much younger than a lot of parents. I'm being about 40 years old. The way that I kind of view myself is community elder. I'm certainly not just another wing of the parent, you know, telling a kid what to do. Like if they only do this, their life will be better. I'm also certainly not a teenager saying like, ah, screw your parents or, you know, just like, Hey, screw everything. Mm -hmm. At the same time too, I've I've worked with teenagers for, gosh, um, 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know a little bit. So I kind of am able to provide, like, kind of clinical insight and information Mm -hmm. in addition to uh, just, you know, being a person that they can relate to, hopefully. Talk
0: about the course of treatment. So a teen comes in, there they are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: It it even starts before then. Typically, it's very rare. I would say, like, one out of 10 of my teenagers goes to their parents and says, hey, I want to go to therapy. Usually, where it starts is a parent will call me worried about their child. And I spend quite a bit of time on the phone with the parent prior to even working with a teenager just to kind of understand like, you know, what's the need here? Is this just a parent that thinks I'm going to tell their kid to do better so they get better grades, so they get into a better school, so they get a better mm-hmm. job and have a better life? I don't do that. I find that that's uh, destructive. I, you know, I listen to the parents' concerns. I set realistic expectations. I let them know that one of my goals as a therapist is to work myself off the job, to really teach the sustain- sustainable skills to the teen and family and ultimately increase communication within the family. Sometimes that doesn't always work. I also, I let them know that typically when they're calling me, they're probably calling me reactively rather than reflectively.
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. So that's, you know, and I let them know like, hey, like you want your kid to come and see me? Like sometimes I see kids for a couple weeks. Sometimes I see kids for quite a period of time, Mm -hmm. but very oftentimes the expectation of the parent for their kid to be getting better doesn't necessarily meet the timeline of someone entering therapy. What are they
0: usually reacting about?
1: He got some Ds in, oh, in God school or bed, um, or a C's, C's, you know, even, you know, like, uh, I'll get, we'll, we'll, have plenty of time to get into this, yeah. but, uh, the grades thing, um, getting caught with marijuana, screen time, video games, sometimes more dangerous, you know, sometimes kids are engaging in really dangerous behavior, but then also a lot of times when parents are, are describing us, they're, they're noticing their kids are quite depressed or anxious and they would like to seek professional help for that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what typically parents are calling me reactively about. You know, if a parent calls me and tells me that they think their kid's depressed, that really gets my attention. You know, when a parent calls me and says like, well, he goes to the school and you know, he came home with some B's and he's capable of A's. You know, I take a closer look at really like, Hey, is this family work? Or is this maybe some of the parents own work mm-hmm. that they need to do in addition to their teenager.
0: So if the parent mentions depression, does that give you the sense that the parent is more connected and not being as reactive and more reflective? Like it looks like my son or daughter is really suffering.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good word for it too. When they can recognize that their child's suffering and they feel like their role as parents, they they feel like they would need additional support Mm -hmm. in helping their Mm -hmm. child get through a difficult period.
0: Back to the course of treatment. So you have build rapport, planning, action, transition. Yep. Would you care to address each of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in the beginning with therapy is working with teenagers. Teenagers are like the most awesome people Mm -hmm. And they can be absent-minded, which is quite the dichotomy. But in the beginning, you have to establish trust and build just basic rapport with the teenager, like just how to be relatable. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean in the first session saying like, hey, so you get depressed, or you get anxious. It's helping understand their world, like where they go to school, where they hang out, generic stuff. Like, what do you like to do for fun? I let them know that I like to surf and I like to go to jujitsu. So you I tell think, them that. Yeah. Oh, do you, yeah.
0: Do you tell them you're a brown belt? and that you ah, you them up know, a Over and time, you know, choke them unconscious, you know, Brad Smallwood, MFT, brown belt. Building rapport I I find is was one of the funnest parts of therapy.
1: Yeah. I you know, in the beginning the thing that I think is so cool about teenagers is like there's such more of a blank slate when it comes to therapy than adults because they come in and they go, Wait, I thought you were supposed to be some scientist. Am I supposed to lay on the couch? And I let them know, like, well, you're certainly welcome to, but I I tend to sit in my chair. And I just talk to them just kind of about life, like what their what their day to day looks like, you know, what their friends are like. Ask them what video games they play. And even though I don't play video games, they'll tell me about Fortnite and I'll be like, you know, I heard that one's pretty good. You should really play Fortnite.
0: I've heard. You really should do it. I
1: it, Ben, if I got into video games, I, I think I would just stop life. They look too good. No, no, no,
0: Brad. If you play video games, you would start
1: life. <laughs> we'll talk about that. You more have it all that. wrong. But wrong. Uh, so in the beginning, like rapport and engagement building is really just letting them know kind of who you are, defining your role, letting them know that, like, hey, I'm not a parent. Um, I'm also not a teenager. And then also letting him know, like, I don't pretend like I know what it's like to be you.
0: How do you know when you've engaged a teen?
1: That is a great question. I think there's a level of openness, even body language, when a teenager stops crossing their arms or looking at me like I'm just um, like a school counselor or, you know, just some unrelatable dude. You just see that they kind of open up. It's amazing. And, you know, some kids have just different, like the messages they've gotten from the world, everybody's different. And sometimes kids are really like open books and they're they're ready to get down to it right away. Sometimes mm-hmm. that could be problematic where other kids like kids are smart you know they they hey what do i why would i tell this guy anything in the beginning and i, I let people know like i don't expect you to trust me in our first few appointments mm-hmm. and i say that that's something i hope that i get to earn part of the rapport building process is really like being really transparent even about what therapy is demystifying everything because if if you break it down to like hey this is just this is a conversation that we can use to improve And it's really like a lot of it is up to you. I think that like when you kind of, I I hate to say like empower, but like when you kind of like give them the reins to kind of take it where they would like, if you give them that that control and that power, ultimately like I I think you're you're kind of setting yourself up for a good therapeutic relationship.
0: What do you do with teens that are resistant to therapy? Like they're there under duress. I mean, I had a, a teen in my practice who just really didn't want to be there. And it was like talking to a statue actually I had this sort of visceral sense that I had like a marble statue in front of me and I was trying to soften it by warming it up huh. with my hands and of course I was not touching the patient but like it was just sort of I couldn't move move him
1: that certainly happens a lot like I said, it's very rare when a when a teenager goes like, yeah, hey mom, dad, I'd, I'd like to go see this therapist in Noe Valley. That he seems really cool. That and,
0: I found um, him on I found him on
1: uh, on uh, Psychology Today. Mom, look, he's great. <laughs> yeah, I was checking him out in between like you know League of Legends. And he my has friends, a brown like,
0: belt in jujitsu. Yeah, come on. And he serves too, guy. so like, he's gotta surfs. be cool.
1: We should you know, mom, can we go please? And he's not even a hipster. You know, there's a there's a level of suspicion teenagers come in and it's valid. And so you know, I'll, I'll ask tons of questions and I'll you know I'll even reflect back to them. It's like, hey, does this seem like a bunch of of, uh seems like a bunch of crap to you. I get it, man. That I could absolutely see why, you know, coming in here and having to talk to some like older dude about stuff his parents want you to talk about. I get it. You know, I've had kids. I had one kid ask me, he took off his shoe and he held it up at me. He goes, what if I threw this at you? And I was like, you know, it's up to you, man. Like probably in the appointment early, but like, I'm good. You're called, <laughs> dude. You know, and I talk just like that. It's not like, I'm like, well, what does the shoe mean? Little Bobby? I'm like, I'm like, you can throw the shoe, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll be fine, you know. Has anyone
0: ever thrown a shoe at you?
1: No, no, but in the course of working with severely traumatized youth when I was younger, um, <laughs> I I have been attacked. I've had I've been I've been spit on, I've been snuck up on and bit. bit? Um, oh yeah. So and you, were, uh,
0: you worked at Edgewood, right?
1: I worked at Seneca family of agencies and work out there and unfortunately they just are unable to provide you know a path to long-term employment but mm-hmm. in terms of like what their mission is and even their understanding of children it's incredible and I, I feel like I, I you know and as, as far as working with teenagers and understanding like adolescence and trauma those type of agencies they, they teach you so much by way of being taught so much means every now and then you get attacked by a teenager but it's fine that's that's the way they know how to express themselves in that moment and, you ever been uh,
0: seriously hurt no
1: no it's i mean i'm a bigger guy man and it, you know it's funny I, I could talk about this for hours but there's a con you know and again sorry to divert to jujitsu but there's a confidence that you walk around with when you've trained in jujitsu for a really long time and so mm-hmm. a lot of kids so you know whether it's in residential or kind of on the playground they come up and they'll you know they'll say all kinds of things that to kind of aggravate you like i'm gonna f you up or i'm gonna yeah ultimately like What you would see with people getting injured in those type of physical confrontations because these are hands-on like Mm -hmm. you're putting holds on clients if they become a danger to threat to others. Mm -hmm. What I found by just having this complete lack of anxiety around a kid threatening to hurt me and just being like, hey, like, I don't want to wrestle, man. You know, like, I'm good. You know, I don't want to rip my jeans. I don't want you to rip yours. Like, how about we talk about this an hour? Just being completely disarming. You know, I've been in plenty of holds and stuff like that. When you would find injuries was when you'd find other therapists really getting like kind of aggravated themselves when a kid says like, hey, like F you. And they're going, well, we don't say that here. Or like, what's going on? And
0: tell me what a hold looks like.
1: In residential and group home settings, what a hold looks like is a kid... We'll pick up a chair, we'll pick up, you know, really any object and try and attack you with it or with their fists. They'll come charging at you. Sometimes, you know, dealing with kids that have psychosis or profound trauma, like those type of behaviors are pretty, pretty wild. And so you have to physically restrain these kids until you can get them back to kind of baseline where they can kind of sit quietly. I've never worked in a facility where we uh, medically restrain them, which means like shooting them up with something to make them pass out. Mm -hmm. But that certainly exists. But uh, the the teenagers call it booty juice. You know, when they're all hardcore, they're like, you've been to that facility where you've been booty juiced. No, holds are crazy. And you know, you're in it with multiple staff because there's like a size ratio to be with a kid and it's ultimately for safety. But what you see is like people are so afraid to go Mm hands-on. They can potentially hurt children and Mm -hmm. they end up getting hurt themselves. How so? In in jiu-jitsu, you learn how to hold on to people. Mm -hmm. You just do. And you you realize that you don't need a whole lot of strength to hold on to people. With kids and there's almost something calming about you if your heart rate's not even up and you're holding on to a kid and being like, Hey, we wow. gotta hold are the last thing and like while you're in a hold, you're going like, Hey, I really wanna let you out of this hold because I don't wanna be in this hold either. Mm-hmm. And I even offer to like, Hey, if you're mad at me, I'll swap out so another staff can hold on to you. Oh wow! Which is cool, you know, and like ultimately, like I mean, it sucks. But when you're, um, when
0: you're holding the kid, are you like, is their arm behind their back? Is it? Are you wrapping your arms around? Your waist? There's
1: all sorts of different systems. Okay. They actually teach you different uh, holds. I, I forgot the last one's called "Handle with Care." They're all these very passive aggressive sounding things.
0: Well, I I just think it's fascinating. And I also wanted to provide our listeners with some background on just how deep in this you were. Yeah. Let's get back to planning, action and transition. Mm -hmm. So planning and understanding and outlining the problems that they're dealing with. Do you do that with the parents or do you that with the kid or do you go back and forth? How do you do that?
1: Both. So after a kind of engagement building and rapport, planning means like, okay, we've, we've kind of outlined the problem or what the need is. Oftentimes that involves like action outside of therapy, like different activities, different dynamics at home. A really good one-liner I've always heard to tell parents is if you want behavior change, there needs to be a relationship change. What does and that look like? What that looks like is sometimes, you know, the, the parents are enacting things in the home. Say a kid is getting bad grades, they're very well aware of that. If a child comes home and, you know, the parent's standing at the door with like the phone that sends them, the parent, an automatic a grade notification every day, Mm -hmm. like a tweet, Mm -hmm. the parent will be at the door with their arms crossed and say like, you've got bad grades. You know, if you ever want to get anywhere in this world, you know, like you've got to get straight A's, you know, like if you want to be successful like me or you want to, you know, whatever. I don't know a better way to shut a teen down than to do something like that. Or
0: or the teen learns that that's how they get mom's attention is by getting a bad grade because i know if i get a bad grade mom's gonna be right there
1: certainly yeah oh certainly they're they well parents in terms of, like that reenactment i i work with parents really closely i'm like okay you're disappointed in the grades like the the relationship change and behavior changes like rather than like reading the door like every day to remind them that they're not succeeding to the family expectation like approaching it with curiosity like later on finding a good time where there's finding good time and context to have that conversation about hey like you know, this is something I've noticed. Like your grades have slipped. They've typically been higher. What's going on? Is there, any, is there anywhere I can be helpful? How can I, I support? Yeah. How do I support you in that? And just that, that is such a subtle intervention there as a parent. If a parent can learn this, they don't need to pay expensive me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know? And it's just little things like that. And sometimes it's families. You find that families are wildly disconnected. So, even intervening like, hey, like I, I've got a young man right now who's really disconnected from his father. They both seem like great people, but they just... They've lost kind of a commonality or a common place just to meet. And that doesn't mean like they got to get to go and talk about grades or life. It just means that like, hey, let's go get a burrito down the yeah. street once a week. Those small interactions and like the small interactions make for kind of big interventions, I suppose.
0: Do you ever work covertly with the parents? I knew a therapist who the young man wouldn't actually know that his that therapist was out there talking to the parents and planning kind of
1: I say that upon intake teenagers like uh, while kids are under 18 their parents actually have a legal right to their information the way that I describe being a therapist that I'm working as part of the family that means that all parties are involved so what that means if a kid's saying like hey I'm thinking about buying some condoms to go have sex with my girlfriend or I'm gonna I've, I've smoked pot a few times like I'm there's very likely a small chance that I'm gonna tell the parents that unless that's explicitly like There's Mm -hmm. a threat to that child's safety or someone's Mm -hmm. being harmed. Overall, I let teenagers and parents know that I am working towards more open lines of communication. Mm-hmm. And so I make myself available to talk to parents like, you know, every now and then just to check in for about 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents book appointments to come see me mm-hmm. with the child's knowledge that they're coming in. Yeah. I would never, ever work with parents without the kids knowing. It kind of enacts like a lot of times the family problems of kind of sneaking behind each other's backs. And so what I tell, you know, with both kids and parents in the room, I always do my first intake with the entire family. Mm-hmm. And I only have, I have the parents stick around for about 20 minutes for consents. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I get on the phone with parents and I tell the teenager, it's like, hey, before I I jump on the phone to your parents, I talk to you. And I talk about like, what can I tell your parents? What should I absolutely not tell your parents? Mm -hmm. What can we work on? You getting around to telling them yourself. And over time, believe it or not, that seems to work really well.
0: When I talk to parents, I, when I see the teen next, I say, so I talked to your parents and this is exactly what I told them. Mm-hmm. I told him this and this and this because I'm not protecting the parents' confidentiality. Yeah, and then the kid or the young man knows that I'm trustworthy, and also maybe that I have a, a, a view into his folks that he like he's a, he can be like a, a spy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a
1: good way of looking at it.
0: So, as far as implementing the changes, I guess we kind of touched on that with like the changing the relationship.
1: Yeah. Is there anything and, you wanted
0: to add and, to that? Yeah,
1: more than that, I am I'm, I'm fairly directive. I, I really don't believe in just kind of sitting there and admiring problems. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I, I work with people on coping skills, what they can actually do. Like sometimes people need to talk things out and that helps them feel better. But very oftentimes what you find with teenagers is uh, they're lost, they're overwhelmed, they're disconnected. All of those things require action. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is like helping them strategize. i like, okay, who are the cool people? Mm-hmm. Not, and, and cool's, what I mean by that is like not the popular kids, but I mean, who's cool? Like who are the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of activities do you want to be doing? Like think big and then take small little steps to do it.
0: What kind of small little steps have you seen?
1: Recognizing who's a good person to hang out with at school. Who can, okay. you, who can you show up in the morning? Mm-hmm. I always ask this question, like, when you walk to school, you know, mm-hmm. who's, the, who's the person you go to try and hang out with? That's, that seems to be a good one. Like, spending time with people that, like, actually have your best interests. The other one is being connected to a passion. I find overwhelmingly oh. well-adjusted teenagers who become well-adjusted adults develop passions. And that involves failure and being bad at something. All mm-hmm. the things we should be doing all the time. Like a sport or a... Like jujitsu. jitsu like jiu-jitsu. <laughs> of course. No, like anything. Um, I really believe in, uh, you know, sorry to use a martial arts term here, but I think that we should all be being a white belt at something at all times. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Barry's Boot Camp. Don't make fun of me, world. But I found it. I Well, I, yeah, it goes to Barry's Boot Camp. As much of a cult it is, as much, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I felt like, I went in there and it was so refreshing to be so bad at something. And that was, I felt like that was cool. I think the same can be said for whether it's like you're joining like, you know, a chess club or joining the track team, doing swimming, trying skateboarding. You got to be bad at stuff. You know, Ben, you and I grew up, we we grew up in a world without the internet. Yeah. And the internet is everywhere now. And all it does is drive kids to stay in their house and play video games with one another. Like I used to have to ride my bike to someone's house and scream through their front yard if they were home. Now... That sounded pretty intense. But like, you know, I'd ride my bike down the street and be like, hey, Ben, you back there?
0: Right, right. You know? Or throw the rocks at the windows. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you had to do. Yeah. Do it and, uh, Huckleberry Finn style or Tom Sawyer totally. style. Totally. Now he would throw the rocks.
1: Totally. That yeah. was like, that was a real thing. Shouting over the fence. And now it's like you go home and like you you, you text a friend or like you, then you sit in your room and you play video games against them. I think that like we so are really missing out on something. Let's there.
0: let's get that into more when we get into common challenges. Before sure. we get into that, I would love to talk about confidentiality with parents yeah because it's so specific with teens it is it's so weird and i don't understand it and i'm i'm actually doing this segment of the uh, podcast selfishly because i don't know these things and um, <laughs> you got the right guy i will have a review little little cheat sheet in the form of this tall generous individual yeah confidentiality
1: confidentiality What is that? It's a double-edged sword. On one hand, parents want their kids to have a a confidential space to tell their secrets and their fears to a therapist. And at the same time, they want to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And confidentiality is a a huge part of that. On one hand, you have to create an open line of communication to families. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have to keep everything like a total secret. First and foremost, if a child is in any type of danger from anyone, whether it's a 14-year-old and I mean danger like not like ah uh, you know he could like he get a, he could get his converse made fun of that's that's not really danger but if a child is going to be harmed I let the parent know right away such as if a kid if a kid has been going out drinking with friends and the friend is driving drunk I will call the parents and that is like I'm you know and I'm I'm totally willing to I'm willing to have that kid hate me for that you know Do
0: you tell the kid that you're going to call
1: Yeah Yeah God, there I I've heard there is some interesting stuff that happens out there. You know, like I've I've had kids that are like somewhat recruited into like there's kind of like these like strange kind of cults that pop around the park around here, mm-hmm. different parks. We could this could be a whole podcast in itself. What? Yes. lost Yeah, no, it's okay to be lost here. But like I mean, these young people, these high schoolers will be groomed by older people into these kind of like I, I don't want to call them cults, but like these groups of people who are full of adults who like make them work for them and do things for them and really trying to take on these like
0: can you describe that to me?
1: strange mentor roles cults that occur in... in Golden Gate, Dolores
0: like what happens exactly? that's really interesting yeah
1: god I don't know man how do I say this young impressionable people they're hanging around on the park mm-hmm. looking for leadership mm-hmm. they'll find a 40-50 year old man who you know is like kind of a, a, a self-described luminary or visionary sure and they'll and they'll start to really like listen to this person's this personal tell them everything about the world all of a sudden you've got like you know how do i say this you're hanging out with this guy all the time he's asking to work for him work for him work for him sell pod for him run weird errands for him it's there there's a i i, I mean we could talk about this for hours but this is a strange underworld that and you you've,
0: see. you've seen this yeah
1: i felt like in and you know what i kind of understand from growing up surfing like Surfing is a really interesting kind of subculture in that like you really look up to your mentors and I remember being young like 15 and 16 I was I was lucky that I really aligned with more positive guys Because mm-hmm. the older guys and one of them was actually a therapist. He's kind of the one that got me on this path hmm but at the same time too. There's there's guys at the beach where you be a 14 15 year old kid and They you know, they just want you to smoke pot with them all day and you're supposed to kind of like ascribe to their lifestyle
0: and so you have had a lot of kid teens in your practice, who they'll just talk
1: about the guy at the park that they always hang out with, or or what? Yeah. This what what I, I think what I'm saying here, where you're getting is like when do you when you tell a parent when they're in danger from like an adult, okay, especially and like I will I've had I've had young people that are like sixteen, seventeen, their parents will have some knowledge of this person, and I will just state it's an inappropriate relationship for a seventeen-year-old to be hanging out with a fifty-year-old. At uh, at Golden Gate Park, mm-hmm. we should talk about that. What's going on there
0: with the kid or yeah. the parents?
1: Both, both. Okay. Yeah. I, I've heard about this from other parents too. You know, like you know, like just parents I know in the community. Like their their children have been like kind of like sort of adopted by like these par- people that call themselves like their their like their non birth father that type of thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: Anyway, look, um, <laughs> confidentiality. Can we talk about
1: uh, sex? Yeah, mandated reporting. Yeah. What I can tell you, you know, and there there's actually a grid. You can look this up online. And so I can I can describe this because it's a weird gray area. There's a sex area.
0: grid, folks.
1: Yes, there's a sex grid. It's really helpful. But generally, if a child is over the age of 14 and they're having sex with an 18-year-old, I'd have to go back and look at this. But I believe that's not actually a mandated report. People think that typically like you have to report if a if you have a 15-year-old client and they're having sex with an 18-year-old, that is a uh, that's a mandated report. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um anytime the partner is 10 years or older. Like typically if someone's 21, if it's a 21 year old and 14 year old, that's a mandate to report. Anytime it goes from like a 14 year old to 13 year old, it, it tends to be below 14 years old is like the cutoff when it's, when it's reportable. Like two 14 year olds can have sex together mm-hmm. and you don't have to report that. That's prior conversation around you know safe sex or you know mm-hmm. alternate things to do, mm-hmm. um, good luck really like, you know, using a harm reduction standpoint, but like when it goes from a 14-year-old to a 13-year-old, that's a mandated report.
0: What if it's two 13-year-olds?
1: Not reportable. It's two 12-year-olds. Not reportable.
0: Fascinating. But if there's an age differential of 1 year, there suddenly it becomes reportable?
1: Yeah. It, well, if it goes from 14 to 13, below 14, like I don't know, you have to look at this grid. It it, right. it spells it out. It goes yes report, no report within the relationships with the teenagers if there seems to be any type of sexual coercion with say it's someone over the age of like 18 or 19 21 Mm -hmm. if you feel like they're being manipulated Mm -hmm. that's a mandated report and that's not just to the parents that's to child Mm -hmm. protective services Mm -hmm. that's when you have a duty as a mandated reporter Mm
0: -hmm. how about um like if children are are, or teens are sending naked pictures of each other around is that
1: technically child pornography I've heard that. I don't know the answer to that. Oh man, that hasn't, shown, that hasn't shown up in my office yet. But I certainly hear about if you're a minor sending nude photos of yourself to another minor. I, I do believe that does violate some type of law. I, I haven't had that show up yet. But if that, was, uh, if that was something that was told to me, if you're a therapist listening to this, this is really helpful. I would call Child Protective Services and ask to consult with them. Not to make a report. Yeah. So you would call within your own county and say, hey. I'm kind of in gray area, or even call the Board of Behavioral Sciences, even though they are down like a staff member now. So it's like
0: Do they answer their phone over there? I don't think they do.
1: It's like an hour wait now. It's actually have nuts. I don't
0: think they have phones.
1: But you can call and depending on the county too, like San Francisco's really good about consulting, whereas like Marin, they're like, Why don't you just make a report and we'll deal with it later?
0: Yeah, you can also call camped. Um, yeah.
1: and even though they're down okay. <laughs> that, that's what I meant. I didn't mean the BBS. I meant camped. Oh camped. Yeah, yeah. sorry. But they're they're down a person. They're so down it takes it takes like a year. Um, to get a hold of someone <laughs> on the phone. So thanks, like, guys. Why do I have a membership? Um, I know that's that's like the only reason to have a membership. With you know,
0: them. I did actually. I had a legal question and I called a CPH, who are my liability insurance people. Oh, and you get yeah, you get a certain amount of time or an hour consult per year per quarter.
1: I use them too.
0: Yeah, and oh, uh, good to know. And the guy that I talked to was far better. Than anyone I've talked to at Camped, it's so cool. Yeah, I can imagine. So therapists out there, see your your liability insurance, CPH, which is probably CPH. Um, you can you can call them as well. Yeah,
1: but you know, whenever you have a question, if ever you feel like you're in hot water, you mm-hmm. know, like you want to be safe and sorry. I I haven't said this yet, but working with teenagers, the one thing where you really have to be, because sometimes you have to keep parents at a distance, confidentiality wise. But we also have to realize that like. Kids are their kids are people's lives. That is mm-hmm. the most important thing in the world to these parents. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't feel right by being like, Well, you know, I just figured I'd be like the cool therapist and not report this when a child's being harmed, you know, mm-hmm. you're you know, like, like everybody loses. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of a crime against the community. Mm, it is.
0: Thank you for that. Oh, one brief thing. And when do you do you text your, your teenage clients? Cause I I text with my clients pretty regularly because it's just the way people
1: communicate it, it's the way can people communicate now yeah, yeah i do i don't text them like hey how's your day going like mm-hmm. absolutely not mm-hmm. but one thing that i like to build in my in my practice with my kids is a level of accountability i'm very often seeing uh young men who are trying to become men very oftentimes that involves setting the appointments with them their parents are carbon copied on the emails yeah Um, so it's, you know, their parents are reminding them, but emailing them their appointment reminders and then also texting them appointment reminders. And it's a very professional text message saying like, Hey Bill, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm confirming your appointment for four o'clock today. Mm -hmm. I will see you then. Yeah.
0: Often what I do is I say a courtesy reminder. Yeah. Just like I'll even, even my regular, uh, adult clients, I'll do that. Just
1: people need it. People
0: need it. Especially in
1: San Francisco. We live in a place where people are just, they're under such a pressure cooker that, that small detail, yeah. like I'll have people come in and be like, I'm so glad you texted me today because I would have totally forgotten. And I would have been like, mm-hmm. yeah, that would have been, a, that would have been a bummer for both of us. Yeah. You know? It also
0: gets the patient, the feeling that they're really being held in a way that is um like yeah. held to account, I guess.
1: It can be a little frustrating. You know, I get text messages from clients that are unnecessary, uh-huh. you know, they'll be like, Hey, I'm having a hard day. I, I get that. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a human too. So I'll be like, I, I usually find a little time to, if they need to check in, I can check in with them real quickly. Yeah, but, I do that as well. But texting, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere. So we yeah. might as well.
0: Uh... I called actually, I went before when camp actually had a staff, I called them on this question and I said, I mean, they're, they're going to text. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. As long as, as long as their parents are aware and yeah. as long as everybody knows that you can't you can't 100% um, guarantee confidentiality because it's a text message.
1: Texting's here to stay. And it's, uh, you know, I let the parents know. I, it would be it would be strange for parents not to be involved in every step of the communication. If you were to see a text thread between me and a teenage client, mm-hmm. it would say, you know, it would say like confirming your appointment. Every now and then a, a client will try and be slick. And I'd be like, hey, there's no problems going on this week. Uh, mind if I skip? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's when I just text them back. It's like, well, talk to your folks about that. It's always those weeks where the, something really... Significance happened at home for some reason.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about common challenges. So sure. you said that there's we talked I touched on this earlier about the course of therapy. When mm-hmm. the parent calls in and says, you know, little Johnny's, you know, vaping pot in the back of the classroom. And, yes. Or he's got a this or he's got a that. What are the the actual challenge? I mean, because you've got the parent's version of what their kid is struggling with, and the mm-hmm. parent is usually only seeing a symptom of a much much larger problem. Yeah. And they're just seeing the very little, the very periphery of it, and they think that if they nip that in the bud, they're gonna, they're gonna fix the whole deal. And uh, what 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 real problems do you see with kids, with teens? Um, what the pressures that they're under, the things that they do to deal with that pressure?
1: So the number one thing that I see that is the the common challenge with teenagers, and you said it a second ago, is just the sheer amount of pressure they're under to find their, their way successfully in the world. Here in San Francisco, I mean, I talk to adults about this all the time. This is a very hard place to thrive. You have to work hard. You have to, I think there's, a, there's an element of luck. I just think that like what kids are looking at in terms of like, how do I go from, here I am as like a 15 to 17 year old to some, some productive member of society. The sheer amount of pressure that they're under would I'd imagine be crippling. I, I'm, I'll just go ahead and say that I think it is a hundred times harder to be a teenager now than say like when I was a teenager, like 20, I was a teenager like 20 years ago. Why? What's different? I've said the internet a few times, but just the sheer amount of connectivity that you have You used Mm -hmm. to get picked on only at school. Now you go home and kids pick on you on the computer from the world, from the world. Yeah. Strangers pick on you. You have unrealistic images of the world. Um, being shown to you through your phone, you've got a friend like, oh, look at this kid. He's he's making millions of dollars like being a, being a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. That adds up. You're never good looking enough. I think that's been a problem since the beginning of time for all of us. Seeing, just understanding how much money it's going to take to live in this world. I think that now more than ever, I think it's so polarizing how much money you need to earn to thrive rather than just to just to subside
0: and the kids can feel that pressure from the oh parents. yeah
1: especially in san francisco you get such a range in san francisco but a lot of the kids that you're working with are their parents both parents have to work at good good high paying jobs yeah to stay here in san francisco and
0: by high paying we mean north of 300
1: oh yeah well north yeah i mean just yeah. to stay afloat so. i mean that was what the chronicle was saying the other day like you know like three hundred thousand between a family isn't even like you're barely putting money in the bank, Yeah, um, which is so wild. Mm-hmm. Because anywhere else, you'd be like, $300,000, like I'm buying a boat. Yeah, Not even buying a condo. So just that sheer, like what you need to do in the world. And it's more difficult. It's more expensive to go to college. College is proving less of a, less of a lucrative experience. Mm-hmm. The really wealthy families uh, bribe college to a college just to let them in. <laughs> i'm trying to think what else uh some of the other challenges too um uh, i'm gonna sound like an old guy for saying this but just the sheer abundant availability of marijuana to teenagers does not help the situation right because we're talking about challenges and then we're talking about you know ways that uh people cope and then i would say also god those uh social media video games just general <laughs> want to be on the internet all day
0: um i've i've often said that
1: the real gateway drug are hormones yeah um what do you think gets teenagers into drugs that's a good question because people have always tried to feel differently via substances i think the level of opportunity curiosity Mm -hmm. drugs also give uh, young people a sense of independence Mm -hmm. they feel like they're getting older Mm -hmm. which is interesting because you know one thing about being a teenager the parents have a hard time understanding their kid was 10 and was like clinging to their leg and thinking they're the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. But when you're a 14 year old, all of a sudden your parents are the least cool people that you've ever seen in your entire life, (laughs) which is true for like 10 years. So definitely true.
0: You should see my, you should have seen my parents. They were the, Oh,
1: you know, if your parents are relatable when you're a teenager, it's like, you're either like a one percenter (laughs) of perfect family or like, or the worst. (laughs) Yeah. There's some enmeshment there that we got to talk about. Um, (laughs) I think there's like a sense of like agency that comes with that. And I I don't think that that's the reason that kids necessarily gravitate towards drugs, but feeling to feel different than they do day to day. You know, Mm -hmm. some kids talk about how, you know, smoking pot or smoking cigarettes, less cigarettes, but those jewel things Mm -hmm. like that decreases their anxiety. What's
0: what's interesting, just on a side note here, just the fact that you said jewel thing shows the, the disconnect that we have from what's sort of really happening and how parents get caught so unaware. Yeah. You know, they, they, I bet you the teens have a, have a slang for the jewel. They probably call it a J or something like that, you know?
1: Oh, there's parents that don't know what those things are when yeah. they find them. They're like, is this a thumb drive or something? Yeah, mom. Like, no, it, it delivers nicotine to my system to help me focus. Um,
0: Why does it have a light on it? Yeah. Why does it smell like uh, grape juice and, and flowers and birthday cake? There's a, I, I talked to a guy who was in the advertising industry for quite some time, and he said that, that people tend not to, to pick their, their substance or their whatever. In the alcohol industry specifically, they, they pick their drink early on in life. Hmm. Like they, they, they're a vodka drinker, or they're a beer drinker, or this or they're that, according to this guy. Huh. And so what advertising companies realize is that they can't, there's no, it, it's, a, it's a waste of time to actually market to older people. So they play a long game they market to children. Whoa! And that's why yeah, those, that totally but, those Budweiser commercials, you'd have like the, you remember from years ago, like the, the frogs and they're cute and kind of yeah. cuddly. Children watch
1: that stuff. Remember the polar bear? What was it? Was the it polar, polar bears? Well, that was with Coca-Cola, the, I think. That was like, Coca-Cola. Doesn't matter. Same deal. There were some bears for like either uh, Budweiser or Coors Light at one point. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, yeah.
0: So, and, and I'm pretty sure they're doing, they've got to be doing the same thing with marijuana. I, they know damn well that marijuana is going to be legalized probably globally in the next 20 years. I think that these companies are probably saying, "Let's get as many kids smoking pot as soon as we can."
1: Yeah, I don't. That would that would certainly be a disturbing thought, but I wouldn't I wouldn't count it out. You always hear those conspiracy theories about like how big tobacco is rolling over, like they're like, "We got to get ready for marijuana." Like, like how are you going to like rebrand like Joe Camel as like a stoner?
0: Oh, they have um, Marble <laughs> Greens. Do they really have that? That's I've heard. I've
1: I've heard that rumor too.
0: That, but it's kind of a cool rumor. I like, I choose to believe it. Yeah. I, I, I was think. like, how do you
1: make, like, they made Joe Camel this, like, cool camel who smokes cigarettes. He, like, played the piano and, like, mm-hmm. dated women. like, how do you make, like, a stoner Joe Camel? Does he get, like, six community college units and, like, lives at his parents' house? Like, <laughs> is that? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> that was a cheap joke. I, I don't know. Um... But we're talking about, we're talking about substances in teenagers. Um, it's funny. One thing you do see with pot is you actually see less alcohol use. Mm-hmm. I'm finding teenagers using less alcohol. One of the problems that I do see, though, is using pills. Mm. That's a big one. And the pills are anti-anxiety medication. Sometimes they're prescribed by your family doctor. Sometimes they're prescribed by your psychiatrist. Sometimes you just buy them from your friends at school. But I think that that speaks to a tremendous problem that we have with our relationship with substances. To feel different, you know, as a way of like kind of like dulling yourself from, like, the pain of, like, where we live. So I think, that, I think that one of the things that teenagers do is, like, they see it as a way of, like, relieving themselves from the pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And surprise, surprise, their parents do it too. They usually have that model in the home. What, what, what kind of things will, will a parent see if a child is, is uh, using drugs? Depending on the drug, you start to see higher risk behaviors with, like, the, you know, like, cocaine and the amphetamines. Oxycontin, you know, and all the opioids, Mm -hmm. like stuff like that, because those are expensive or hard to get, they involve in much riskier behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, They involve in very oftentimes like stealing from the family. Mm -hmm. So you start to see things, you know, like families will start to see like weird charges on their cards. Things go missing around the house. Pot, what you see is, with teenagers, very oftentimes it's uh, it, it, I, I hate to say this because I think pot is actually really harmful for teenagers. You'll see grades slip. You'll see them hanging out with with different sets of friends. You, you'll see a you know kind of a lesser amount of motivation. It it's it's not as it's not as extreme. You know, you do see like if you look at a kid who's smoking a ton of pot, if their grades go up, that's a different conversation. But I, I still haven't seen that yet. I see hundreds of teenagers.
0: <laughs> when you see uh, improvement in a teenager. What do you What do you see?
1: What does it look like? More open lines of communication to whom? To ever to what to does their that, parents. What does that look like? They're just talking more. Talking more to their talking more to their folks. Mm-hmm. Or connected. Their mm-hmm. parents aren't necessarily like fishing information out of them. Mm-hmm. There's just something that you see in a person that seems like they're doing better. Uh-huh. You, you know, and that that is so nebulous to say that, but you really see a kid come in and they'll be like, "Yeah, things are going pretty well." They'll start talking about like it really, they start to describe like their life in terms of their relationships, their friends feeling more healthy. Like they feel mm-hmm. like you almost get a sense of motivation from them. When you get a really depressed kid, like I, I reflected to a kid I hadn't seen for about a year. You know, his parents called me really concerned. Like, you know, he had had a big transition to a big high school mm-hmm. and he came in and, you know, he'd been he had been smoking pot previously. His parents had caught him. It's their pee testing. And I just, I looked at him. I had worked with him since he was like a pretty little kid. I looked at him i like, you know behind those eyes man you look like you're really hurting you know he's just welled up like he's just kind oh. of gaunt looking and you know and he just you know, just you know he's just you know he's trying not to cry and i'm going like it's probably a good idea to cry today you know mm-hmm. we should, you know that'd be fine man and we just got we got we got into the, the you know we really got into the thick of things like in, mm-hmm. a, in like six weeks he mm-hmm. would just come in and we like we talked about the pressure we talked about the things he was doing He, mm-hmm. he was really trying to like act out who he thought he should be for his new set of peers, which Mm -hmm. is total bullshit Mm -hmm. Um, because he's cool to begin with. Mm -hmm. He's fine. You know, he arrived at the school the first day with all he needed to do. And so what we talked about was like, how do we like, maybe we should curb smoking pot every day after school for a little while. What are you good at? Like, we know all this stuff. Like, why are we reengaging with that? I was seeing his parents collaterally Mm -hmm. and talking to them a little bit about, you know, he was, he was blown around the home. And so instead of like when he would, you know, when I say blow it, I mean, he would he would fail at a certain task and rather than blowing up and screaming and you know saying how they felt about the situation in kind of a harsh way like you know like what's going on man you know like again going back to that curiosity like hey what's going on like this was kind of expected of you and like rather than you blew it again you know like really helping to show him that they cared in a different way when they're back engaged in their sports and their activities and they're kind of too busy to come in i'm like oh that's good oh, that's
0: a nice that's a nice way of putting it
1: yeah that's, that's one of my favorite things is like, you know, when a parent, you know, like we'll be going back and forth and they're like, well, he's got this this weekend. And you know, this week he's got this. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, it sounds like he's really doing his things. That's probably better than him coming in to see me. Like I'm, yeah. I've got too many phone calls uh, that that come in. So when a kid starts doing well, he, I, I help them see that motivation, mm-hmm. like kind of push them out the door. The door's always open to come back. Right. Not meaning like you graduated for life.
0: And that's the, um, Transition thing that we talked about. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, you know, one of the ones was, uh, we talked about, you know We talked about engagement planning action is when once we've identified the problems like Mm -hmm. the coping skills and the methods That's we put into place Mm -hmm. and then transition is that's when they start to see me a little bit less Mm -hmm. That's when like I might see their parents a little bit, you know I'll drop down see them like, you know, every other week or once Mm -hmm. every three weeks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know And every now and then one of my kids will be like, I think I'm good for now.
0: I had one teen come back as an adult to see me. That was fascinating.
1: That's starting to happen for me a lot. Isn't that cool? It's the best.
0: What is that, what is that experience like for you?
1: It's amazing, man. It's so validating that you, you, at a certain point, like they've grown into an adult and they trust you enough to come back and like talk to you about their adult stuff. I love it.
0: And they can just say, yeah, back then, like I, 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 I they can kind of see what they didn't see, and what you were trying to show them.
1: Well, you're a, cont- yeah, you are a container for them at that certain point. It shows like on some level, this is the craziest part about being a teenage therapist is they are listening. They might not be ready to completely digest and implement the information that you're sharing with them, mm-hmm. but they're listening. Yeah, And that it's so cool when they okay, come back. Like one of my kids got into a really good school. He hit me up and he said something to me that I heard a comedian say one time. He said to me, he's like, when I have really bad days, I think about what you tell me. Dude, I'm getting like, I'm getting welled up here. But he said, uh, this is crazy. Um, I would say to him in session... He was, he was under a, a significant, significant odds, you know, kid in foster care. Um, but when he'd have really challenging days, I would, I would say to him like, how do you eat an elephant? And he'd be like, ah, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'd be like one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, uh, it was crazy that he emailed me that. Mm-hmm. I actually emailed the comedian that too. It was a famous comedian, uh, Brian Callan. Mm-hmm. And I emailed him this and I'm like, I'm like, Hey man, like, cause you can get anybody's fucking email now mm-hmm. and uh, excuse my language. Um, and I was like, I, I can't believe this kid in foster care, like who, who got in this amazing school. He actually speaks in front of Congress now about being in foster care. Jesus. It's wild. It's he, You should have him on your podcast. Well, um, I know how to get, you know, we, 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 we still talk, yeah, but uh, I'd love to have him. He, I think about it all the time when I have a rough day. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. It was so cool. But yeah, that, that was the, the thing of like them coming back to you as adults. That, that's starting to happen quite a bit. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I bad. really, really enjoy that. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. I got choked up there, podcast listeners.
0: Uh, your heart, you've got, a, you've got a big heart, man. What do you think you needed when you were a teenager?
1: Oh man, that's what I think about as a therapist that I am now. Great question. I needed me when I was a teenager. What is that? A grown-up version of me. Yeah, and it's weird to say that because I'm, you know, that means I'm proud of myself as an adult.
0: What would you tell your teenage self if you could?
1: Oh, take it so much easier on yourself. Be specific. Don't put so much, don't, don't take everything so seriously. More specifically, I just thought I had to have it figured out by the time I was like 21 or 22. That. And I think that still exists, you know. I, I was like, "How am I going to make it in this world?" But I, I had really good—I had really good mentors that I found on my own when I was a teenager, you know, within within my surf community, which was really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they—they uh, they were good guys. Um, one's a therapist, Ron Triplet, he's amazing. Uh, another guy's a college professor named Alexis Copeland, and then just a bunch of other guys. My teenage self—I was, you know, like I, I got in trouble. I got suspended at school. I—I mm-hmm. uh, I, I smoked weed and stuff like that. I don't care if people know that. I don't anymore it doesn't fit into my life as much as I work for a lot of people. It doesn't for me. I was an angry kid. Um, I got picked on a ton when I was, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was, I was like the, when I was in high school, I kind of grew once I Once I got into surfing, you know, I kind of slimmed down, but I, I think sometimes we kind of carry like who we thought we were mm-hmm. into our teenage years. But mm-hmm. like I'd wear these sick, these really thick glasses cause I got my eyes shot out when I was a kid. And then I had like the roly polies as a
0: eyes shot out.
1: Yeah. I got, I got my eyes shot out with a slingshot at uh, Ben Grant's house. When I was a when I was a kid, so I, ca- I can't see out of my left eye. You didn't oh, know yeah,
0: that. I, I did. I think I blocked it out. It was, yeah. Anyway, but
1: you know, so I had to wear these like crazy glasses, and then that like corresponded with like my braces and like me probably being the same weight that I am now, but you know, about half mm-hmm. the size. Mm-hmm. So you know, you just just like lost, and you don't know who to talk to about this stuff. And and not only that, like you would think, like I was just you know, like I'm I'm talking about like being a victim here. I was also an asshole, and I bullied other kids. I was a really shitty kid. But also like a sweetheart who's just kind of like acting, you know, kind of acting out like my own sense of anger. And like if I had someone like me now kind of sit me down and be like, hey, this is what's going on. And talking through like, hey, you don't feel confident. That's fine. A lot of people don't. Here's how, here's how you build it. It doesn't just come to you. That would have been so helpful. I think now one of the things that I think this comes across in my therapy um, that I work with teenagers is. I don't tell them, you know, like, and again, I wasn't, I wasn't like I was a bad kid, but I certainly got suspended for like fighting and stuff like that and ditching school and getting bad grades. Not suspended, but I got some, I got some bad grades. I never got, I got never got less than a D, but I finished high school with like a 3.0, whatever. You know, I wasn't the best performer. I don't know where we're going with this. I feel like I'm talking about myself now.
0: Well, that's the point. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about you. That's <laughs> So um, I can use it against you later.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Thanks, man. It's all good.
0: Is there anything else you think needs to be covered?
1: I feel like I just like emotionally dumped on you.
0: <laughs> I didn't notice. No. That that's cool. Um how do you feel? Fine. Just fine? Yeah. What does fine feel like, Brad?
1: Fine. I don't know. I feel light. You feel light? It's good. It's good to talk about oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um
0: I put I put you on the couch inadvertently. Sorry yeah, about that. You were literally on my therapy God couch. Damn it,
1: Ben the therapist. You got me. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. One of the things I think it'd be helpful to I'll talk really about is it. just um, you know, parents or teenagers that uh think about sending their kid to therapy or if you're a teenager thinking about going to therapy. What I'd say is give it a shot. It doesn't mean what I tell all t- all parents when they come in, I say, have your kid come in one time mm-hmm. and if they like me, we'll set up a more regular time for them to come in. If they think, hey, therapy's cool, but Brad's not, I'll provide you with a ton of other therapists that I think are great. But if you think like, you know, hey, therapy sucks, at least you give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So i I Feel like with parents when they call me, I I set expectations for therapy pretty low. Parents, I think feel really like, oh man, I should be able to do this myself as a parent. Like, you shouldn't feel that way. It's, It's helpful to have people in the community that that can be helpful to your child besides yourself. You're you're showing your child in a way that you you really care about them in a different way. I, I think that parents that have any kind of reservation around should we send our child to therapy, give it a shot. And what I say is like, don't coerce your kid, don't bribe them with an Xbox to come to therapy because that doesn't work. You know, have them look at have them look at like the website of the therapist they're going to look at. Even set up a call with a the therapist for the mm-hmm. child themselves,
0: mm-hmm. stuff like that.
1: But like, if they're if they're worried about depression, anxiety, withdrawal. Kids are under a tremendous amount of pressure and they, they engage in some really, really scary, some really scary behavior now. So I like to be, I like to be more, you know, like reflective than reactive. And that's, uh, I find that to be helpful in terms of uh thinking about it that way and sending your kid into therapy.
0: I think that that's a wrap. Sure. Good job. Yeah. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening as always pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. You can also reach me by going to my website at benjaminrusick.com. Also, I encourage you to subscribe, like, and share. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a
1: bigger plate.